Hey everyone, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for faith and life. My name is Tony, and today is episode 97 of the podcast, and I'm so excited to sit down with author Alan Arnold. Alan's new project, Chaos Can't, gives us an opportunity to look and define chaos, right? How, how do we deal with the heaviness of the world? Uh, what does God have to say about inviting us into intimacy through the scripture? I, I love the way he talks about expectancy and wonder and asking God uh, to show me something today. So uh, this is going to be such a good conversation, especially as we begin to look and pray and think about what life after COVID looks like. Uh, as always, the best compliment you can give us is to share this episode with a friend. And while you're here, go ahead and hit that subscribe button to make sure you don't miss any future episodes. And uh, as always, if you can leave us a rating or review on iTunes, it does so much to get the word out. Thank you guys so much for being in this community with us. And uh, if you want to take a look at the full transcripts, you can find them on reclamationpodcast.com. We've got a, a whole uh, plethora of resources there and a little bit about me. And as always, love to connect with you on Instagram at TWMelt. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Alan Arnold. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited to have today uh, author, speaker, and uh, nonprofit executive Alan Arnold here. Alan, how are you? I'm good, Tony. Thanks for letting me be a part of the conversation today. Hey, thank you so much for being here. And you've got a, a brand new resource out uh, it, towards the end of 2020 called Chaos Can't. Yes. And um, and the first question I, I was dying to ask you is, did you know that the world was going to be in so much chaos when you wrote the book, when you started dreaming of this book? <laughs> Well, so when I first started teaching on it, no, which was about three years ago. Okay. And God had me in this unique spot where I was speaking to people around the country outside of the ministry I work at, as well as within it. Mm -hmm. And when I was doing that about three years ago, he shifted me to a topic of how do you navigate the chaos in your world? And at the time, I thought, wow, that's most people. I never even hear the word chaos when I'm in conversations, but okay. And so that started a teaching of about twice a week, every week for the last three years. And then last March or April, when things started going crazy in our country with the virus, with social unrest, with the presidential election politics, uh, I just found my heart tanking. And that's when God nudged me and said, what I've been taking you through in terms of your teaching the last three years, now is the time for a book on that. And that ended up being a huge rescue to my own heart because, man, the heaviness of the world, the nightly news, the constant change, the constant stress, the constant um, just unrest caused me to realize I don't have a good antidote for chaos when it's coming so frequently like if it's once in a blue moon, I'm okay. And my wife even said, Tony, you know, she said, Alan, you're really good when things are calm, but when things get chaotic, you tend to become more chaotic yourself in your response. And so nobody knows us like our spouses, right? And that got me, she said that in love, but that got me on a journey of how do I live chaos free in a world of chaos? I believe God has told us it's possible. I believe he's shown us how, but I was not doing it well at all. And I'm guessing a lot of listeners would feel the same way. And so I started an exploration. The book is a journey of how do we stay unshaken in a shaken world? Yeah. So one of the questions I always love to ask people is about hearing from God. I mean, you obviously were teaching and you were already in the world. And so you've got this relationship with God. H how do you know that God's like, Alan, you should definitely write this book or versus, you know, maybe you just ate a bad burrito or something. <laughs> well, here's why. That's a great question. And, and, and really it is the foundation of what we're going to talk about, because I believe God invites us as his sons and daughters. He's our father. We're his sons and daughters into an intimate, conversational, regular walk with him where we are actively hearing his voice within our heart, not out loud, not in a booming cloud, 
But we learn, you know, he says clearly in scripture, you know, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. And, and the invitation through all of the Old Testament stories is God is an active, engaged, speaking father. And so somehow the church, I believe, overall has lost this. And they think, well, you know, yeah, we, we know God's will by reading scripture. That's true. We do. We get to know God through scripture. But scripture itself is what invites us into intimacy yeah. with God. And so the very thing we're looking at is example after example of example of how men and women hear God's voice and walk with him. And so it's a fascinating, I think, uh, shift in your life when you start being able to ask God questions and know that still small voice inside of you that's his. By the way, you also over time start to recognize the enemy's voice. Mm. So when you start to hear things, thoughts in your mind, that voice in your ear that says, just give it up. It's too much. You're a loser. It's too late for you. Your dreams are too big. Whatever that voice is, well, you start to distinguish between the two as well and go, that's not God. That's not his voice. And so it's an amazing adventure. And that's that's something you obviously get better at over time, like learning to play the guitar, learning an art form, learning to cook. Learning the voice of God is something you have to desire and practice and step into and and be patient with. But over time, it has been a rescue. And I would say every day now, it's it, it's not this random occurrence, but every day it's, okay, God, what do you have for me today? Or what's an advanced word? Or should I go or not go? Or should I take this uh, invitation or not? Or should we as a family, do this or not do this. And, and to not have that access to the father, that intimacy, I, I don't know how Christians get by in the day without that, because it's, it's the most beautiful part of the relationship to me is the relationship. Yeah. How do, how do we move? I, I think that there are a lot of people listening right now who, who are actively engaging scripture and they're reading it probably, you know, at least a couple times a week, um, how do we move? I, I love the way you sked, said that. Scripture invites us into intimacy. How do we move from um, just information to intimacy? Right. Well, there's a great book. And, and this book, before I joined the ministry I work full-time at now, before I joined it, I was a big believer in what they were doing. And the book uh, is called Walking with God. And it's from the founder of Wild at Heart, John Eldridge. He wrote, Wild at Heart, the book, yeah. and many others. But Walking with God is kind of one of those that a lot of people never discovered. And to me, it was the most life-changing book because that whole book was showing how do you step into that. And so, like, Tony, the way you would start, I would, and this is what the book says, and people can go in more depth in that book. But basically, you can start by getting away to a place where there's not a lot of distraction, not a lot of um, things pulling at your attention, turn off your phone, turn off the stereo and just say, God, do you love me? And listen, and just listen. And, th- and the goal is not to fill in the blank with your thoughts of, well, of course God loves me. The goal is to hear within you, within your heart, his small voice, his voice. And you start to know, I mean, he knit us into existence so we can hear his voice without an audible. We don't use our ears for that. We use our heart for that. And so if you hear, no, I don't love you, you're learning the voice of the enemy. And if you hear, yes, I love you, then you're learning the voice of God. So you start with really small questions. You don't start with, should I move across the country tomorrow? Or should I quit my job today? You <laughs> start with small questions that are, do you love me? And what do you have to say to me? And then you build over time like anything else. But um, yeah, I encourage people to read the book. I encourage people to, to practice that. And the biggest thing is you have to believe God is not silent. He hasn't lost his voice. He wants to speak to you. Because if you absolutely believe God will never speak to me, this is all woo-woo, or this right. is other people, well, guess what? You're probably going to have a really hard time hearing the voice of God, because you're making agreements on the front end. It won't happen. It's not possible. I can't do it. I've never done it. 
And so let all those things fall to the wayside and just ask God, do you love me? Start there. And uh, it'll open up a technicolor world for people. I love that. And one of the things that I'm passionate about is helping people uh, see the awe and wonder of God, because I think we've lost a little bit of that. We've, you know, I, I love contemporary worship and I don't have any, any problems with that. We do contemporary worship here at, at our church. And yet at the same time, there is nothing more crazy than when God begins to speak into your life in a, in a palpable way. And and I believe, and I, and I think we see some of this in your, your writing is that it's a lot of it has to do with our daily disciplines. And And one of the things I love to say around here is that if you're not, dedicated to your disciplines, you'll be destroyed by your distractions. That's good. Yeah. It's really good. Thank you. I, I, it, yeah. uh, feel free to steal it. And so I guess I'm, I love to ask people who are hearing from God on a regular basis, what are your disciplines like? What's a day in the life of, of God, of the relationship between God and, and Alan? Well, first of all, I would say, you know, um, I get it right a lot and I blow it a lot. And so there isn't, this isn't the path to perfection. Yeah, me too. This Absolutely. isn't me at the top of the mountain looking down with these nuggets of wisdom. I'm with you guys. I'm with the listeners, you know, on a journey. But the, but the average day is when this is what I think is really huge, Tony, to wake up and before my feet hit the ground, before I reach for my phone uh, or any other distraction, to just pause and go, Father, what do you have for me today? Mm. And and I'm not asking a question about myself. I'm not I'm not saying, Alan, what is your to do list today? What is what is my day going to be like? Oh yeah, I've got an eight o'clock meeting. I've got. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, God, what do you have for me today? And so it's entering into the morning before my feet hit the ground with an expectancy or a sense of wonder or awe, Papa, Father, Abba, what do you have for me today? And listening. And and the biggest part about hearing the voice of God, I think one of the key things, and I'm, I'm saying this, you know, kind of uh, with a wink, but we have to shut up. We yeah, amen. And listen, like we, uh, most of our prayers are one way, God, I need this and I need this and I need this and I need, can you do this? And I'm worried about this and and by the time we finish and walk away, we haven't listened at all. We've downloaded our to-do list to God or our desires, and that's fine. But to start with, God, I want to listen. What do you have for me today? And then be quiet and then listen. And and a lot of times I'll hear a word or a, or I'll sense, oh, this, is the, this meeting is going to be way more important than I thought, or this conversation with my spouse is going to take priority today. And sometimes I don't hear anything and that's okay too. But even in those moments, it aligns me to, this is not my day. This is God's day. Mm. And so my, I used to base my day, if it was good or bad on whether my to-do list got done. So if I came home at six o'clock at night, I was either in a really bad mood because there were, my day was full of distractions. I didn't get to the gym. I didn't get to, read any of this book I wanted to. I didn't get to do the fun thing I wanted to, or dinner plans got canceled. Um, and if it all happened, I thought it was a really good day. And the problem was God didn't have to show up in any of that. <laughs> the filter was just, did I get what I wanted done, done? Right. And so this starts the day differently with expectancy, not expectations. World of difference, expectancy versus expectations. So lose your expectations for how your day should go and go, God, I'm expectant for what you're up to. I don't know what that's going to be. And then go through the whole day watching how the Father aligns the rhythm of your day. And then, and this is the second half and really important, at the end of the day, when you put your head down, but before you go to sleep, go, God, what is your interpretation of this day? Hmm. Not my interpretation. My interpretation as a man might be, well, the day stinks because I had a I had a problem with one of my cars that I didn't expect. I didn't have enough money to get that fixed. Uh, te- one of my teens is having problems, and it was exhausting to talk through that or work through that. Uh, relationally, this happened. My interpretation is I'm ready for this day to be over. 
God's interpretation may be, Alan, I'm working to shape you into the man I need you to be and want you to be. And this day was a big step in that. So start with expectancy, end in asking for God's interpretation. And notice in both of those, the assumption is I can hear the voice of God. Because why ask for an interpretation if you're not going to hear anything? And why be expectant if you are trying to be a son or daughter to a father who will never talk to you? So those two things, I think, are huge milestones. Yeah, I love that. I love that idea about expectancy versus expectations. And I think it fits perfectly uh, with this piece of writing because I, I one of the things that I've I've seen in the last year, and I'm sure you have too, is that is that when our expectations get blown up, chaos kind of erupts. Right. And, right. and so I, I was hoping that you might uh, define um, uh, define chaos for us. And maybe uh, I, I have a, a note kind of that chocolate taught you about chaos and, and maybe kind of intertwine all that together for us. Yeah, uh, that'll be fun. So most people... I think kind of go along with the dictionary definition of chaos, which is not untrue, but it's so basic, it's not very helpful. And that definition is a state of utter confusion or disorder. The problem is, and I say in the book, like that describes me as a high school math student and a college student of most of my classes in math and science. I was in a state of utter confusion, but it wasn't chaos. It was just uh, I, my brain didn't get math and science very well. And so I was looked like deer in a headlight, but that's not the type of chaos. I think that takes us out most days. What takes us out most days is a different kind of chaos or a different understanding. So I define it in the book as this chaos is a destructive fear-based force that prevents us from fully living. It comes against us in intensely personal strikes meant to leave us empty and void. Mm. So a destructive fear-based force that comes at us in personal ways. Well, man, that that sounds like some people I know. (laughs) Yeah. Well, a lot of people are chaotic. Right. And, and they've let chaos in and that is, they exhibit those things. They create, you know, by speaking or by just their presence, they bring fear into the room or they, leave you feeling empty and void. Yeah. And so it doesn't originate with them, but I think that's what you're naming is a, re- a reality of people who have let chaos into them, then they breathe chaos and change the atmosphere in a negative way. Yeah, absolutely. Now tie, tie that into chocolate for me because I'm dying to know the connection. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so in these times, we could all probably use a little more laughter. And for me... One way that I've really kind of, if I just want to unplug, I love the old I Love Lucy TV show. And I'm talking (laughs) about the one from the 50s with, you know, Lucy and Ethel, black and white TV show. But one of the most popular episodes of the whole series was the Chocolate Factory one. And what it is, is whether you've never seen the series or know exactly what I'm talking about, Lucy and Ethel are best friends and middle-aged women and they go to work at this chocolate factory and all they have to do on this slow moving conveyor belt is wrap each piece of chocolate, like a little piece of toffee, wrap it and it moves on and they're done. And if they do, they're successful. Well, so they start this job. They have these white hats and white lab coats and they're like, man, this is a piece of cake. This is super easy. And then it starts speeding up. And Ethel looks at Lucy and says, Uh, the calm starts to go away and she goes, I I think we're fighting a losing game because if one piece of chocolate goes through and wrap, they're fired. So they start to panic and the, and the conveyor belt starts to go faster. And then they hear the supervisor coming. And so what do they do? Well, they start shoving the chocolate in their pockets and in their mouth and in their hat and their hats drooping from too much chocolate. And the supervisor comes out and looks around and it looks like they've done everything because she doesn't see the hidden chocolate in their pockets and bulging out of their mouth and everything. So then the supervisor just looks and goes, speed it up and walks out. And they look at each other like we are so hosed because we couldn't keep up before. And now we're toast. 
Well, that I think is the reason I say this in the book is I think it's an example of how we tend to deal with chaos rather than understand it and change it and not let it in. We stuff it in our pocket. We pretend we're keeping up with things. The illusion is we're good. We're fine. And the reality is we are overloaded, overwhelmed, and one minute away from everything imploding. And so I, I and it's like, like Ethel said in the, in that little clip, we are fighting a losing game. If that's our approach to chaos, to just stuff it down, pretend everything's okay. People ask us, you know, how's your day? Oh, it's fine. Yeah, it's good. And in the meantime, we're thinking we are overwhelmed to the point of things spilling out of our pockets, out of our mouth, out of, out of our lives. And so the answer isn't to just kind of pretend it's all okay because chaos plays for keeps. So what we have to do is realize one, how to be proactive, not reactive. And, and the good thing about that, Tony, is we serve a God who does everything he can to prepare us if we will understand. And Jesus tells us in John 16, 33, you know, it's a, it's a very clear, direct passage. He says, uh, this is all one verse. I have told you these things so that you may have peace. He's talking to his followers. So he's telling us, so we'll have peace. And then the next word he says is, in this world, you will have trouble. You could substitute chaos there, I think, fairly. So imagine Jesus looks at you eye to eye and says, hey, Tony, I'm going to tell you something so you'll have peace. In this world, you're going to have a lot of trouble. <laughs> well, that feels, that feels like, wait, what? What, you're telling me this will have peace, that I'll have trouble? But then he says, the reason why, same verse, take heart, because I have overcome the world. And he doesn't just mean in the past, in that moment in scripture, Jesus is eternal. And Jesus is saying, I have overcome everything that has been, is, or ever will be. I have already overcome it on a spiritual realm, on a spiritual way. And so if you walk with me, yeah, there's going to be trouble in this world. Do not be surprised. Quit letting it blindside you. In this world, a lot of people used to say, I can't wait for 2020 to be over. You know, I heard that a lot in November and December. Yeah. I, and the problem is, I get it. I understand what they're saying. But look at the beginning of 2021. Sure. Like, chaos doesn't go away because the calendar shifts from December to January. In this world, we will have trouble. And we're having a lot of trouble in this world now. So the answer isn't a trouble-free world. Don't put your hopes on that. Nobody can promise you that. Like in politics, nobody can promise you that in any kind of government way or any other way. But Jesus says, if you'll come with me, I've overcome the world and I can help you be chaos free in a world of chaos. So that's the promise. We shouldn't be caught off guard and we should understand then how do we now navigate the chaos out there in the world and in, in the people around us without letting ourselves become chaotic in the process. Yeah. So one of the things that I think I'm hearing in this is that chaos by itself is um, is always going to be there. There's always going to be some version of chaos in the world. Uh, one of the things I'd love to hear your thoughts on is, is why do some things bother me more than other things chaotically? Like, like I, I don't have, I'm not a road, you know, a, a road uh, rage driver. But when my wife is driving, she will sometimes yell at cars in front of her. And it feels like chaos to me. Like, I'm not bothered by the car, but my wife getting upset is like, you know, it's, it's like, I, yeah. how, what can I do to help you here? Because I don't understand why you're yelling at the car that can't hear you. <laughs> right? I mean, that's neither here nor right. there. But, right. but all that to say is, why does some chaos cut to the core of who we are and other chaos seemingly roll off of our back? Well, I think that's because I would say a lot of times chaos is very different for each of us in terms of what triggers us, what sets us off, what shuts us down. And it's because where does chaos come from? Like chaos is not this random, generic um, thing that just is out there and it affects everybody equally. 
chaos feels personal, I believe, Tony, because it is personal. Mm. I believe it's personal because I believe it's the number one weapon the enemy uses against us. So the enemy is a is if nothing else is a student of how to take people out, of how to shut them down, of how to get them. Ultimately, his goal is to sever the relationship between us and God. I mean, and that's his number one goal, I think. And he uses chaos designed in almost custom ways to take you out that wouldn't take me out. And the ways to take me out wouldn't take the listener out or one of our spouses out. And so you have to realize the enemy is trying to kill, steal, and destroy. And he will do whatever he can to each of us. He knows our buttons really well. And so we have to be proactive because if we sit there through a day and the very things that really get under your skin or that really shut you down happen and we kind of go through unaware, we're going to get taken out. And so we have to realize chaos comes from the enemy. Now we can create our own chaos. You know, if somebody does... Amen. <laughs> I mean, we, you know, we do. Guilty. So guilty. <laughs> so I'm not letting you, I'm not letting us off the hook, but what I'm saying is a lot of chaos in this world is trying to shut our heart down. It's trying to take our hope away, kill, still and destroy the enemy yeah. comes to kill, still and destroy. And that's, he does that through chaos. So we have to know one, don't let it surprise us Two. It's not just us, although we can do some dumb things. It's not just us. We have an enemy throwing chaos at us. And three, we don't have to let it in any more than in the book I talk about. Recently, I went through a car wash and forgot to roll my windows up. And all of the Wait, like, all of them? Cool. Well, the it's a truck, so it was the front two windows. <laughs> okay. And, <laughs> and so I do have a back seat, but... All of the things that look pretty cool if you're going through the car wash with the windows up, the lights, the foam, you know, the squirting water, when it's coming at your face, not fun, not cool, and not the way I wanted to have a shower that morning. Sure. But, you know, it's a great principle of we do that with chaos all the time. Like we don't roll up our own windows. We don't secure our heart. We, we give chaos access to our hearts because we leave the windows and doors open. And so instead of guarding our heart, Proverbs 4.23, above all else, we don't even pay attention to what's coming in. And the outside chaos the enemy throws at us gets in. And then, you know, it's hard to overcome something that you're becoming more like. So Mm. you want to overcome chaos, but you're becoming more chaotic. You're fighting, back to the chocolate factory, a losing game. You have to not let it in, guard your heart. And then the really cool part starts because everything I've set up to this point, you know, don't be surprised by it. Understand what's really going on with the enemy. Don't let it in. That's like 101. If you can do those things, the really cool part of the adventure starts, which is now how do we when we're not chaotic and chaos isn't getting in us and we understand what's happening now, how do we go into our world, our realm of authority, our home, our relationship with our kids, with our coworkers, with our church, with our community, and actually change the environment from chaos to beauty and life and order. And so that's, that's the goal, but it's kind of like you have to get your car trip ready before you can take a trip. Yeah, your car's trip ready. You don't just lock it in the garage. You want to go and explore. And so when you do these early things, you can then be chaos free and enter into the world of chaos and actually start changing the chaos into beauty, life and order. And that's that's the exciting part. Like that's the first part gets you ready. The second part gives you and everybody around you more life. Yeah. So, so teach us, come on, pastor, teach us how to, how do we roll up our window? How do we like, uh, prevent chaos from seeping into the inner, inner workings of our monologue? And and what is that? I'm yeah, I'm, I'm loving it. Yeah. Well, so the first, you know, to the first part of not letting it in, if somebody was trying to get through your front door, 
of your house that you thought was going to want to destroy and pillage your home, hopefully you would have resistance. You would not let that person in. You would be vigilant in guarding your entry to your home. And your heart is the same way. Well, how does the enemy tend to get in? Usually it's in the form of his lies that he's whispering to us. So it's something like, um, man, I, I, I just never can get my act together or it's kind of too late for me. Like I have these dreams, but in the world today, forget it. Like who's going to listen to this podcast or who's going to read this book or who's, who's going to want what I have to offer. Uh, it's too late for me. Uh, I'm always in debt. I'll never get out of debt. I, I never hear the voice of God. So I guess I never will. All of these things that we let into our hearts start to make us more chaotic. And here's why, because it lets fear in Mm. and any decision or any choice we make, I believe Tony is either fear or love based any decision. If you make a hundred decisions a day, you could label each of those love based, fear based, fear based, love based, love based, fear based. And you could go through it. Uh. and, and, And the reason I think people don't understand that is, the fear-based decisions can look really different, meaning you can be raging and fear-based. You can be shut down and fear-based. You can be passive and fear-based, aggressive and fear-based, offended and fear-based. So a hundred people in a room can look very different, but if you get to the foundation, they're operating from fear. Hate comes from fear. Rage comes from fear. Um, being shut down and checked out is fear-based. And so either we're fear or love-based. And when we start operating out of a fear base, well, it's, it's the gateway for chaos to come inside of us because Jesus tells us, don't fear, don't be anxious for nothing. And, and we kind of hear that and go, yeah, right. Anxious for nothing. Well, what he really means is don't be anxious unless things are crazy. And then, of course, who wouldn't be anxious or who wouldn't be fearful? And we try to rationalize the words when actually Jesus has never been fearful. Hmm. God's never been fearful. The Holy Spirit's never been fearful. And and so somehow, as sons and daughters, we have decided, yeah, but in this world, of course, we're going to have fear. And of course, we're going to be anxious. And that's simply not what the invitation is. So that's how not to let it in, I think, is to go, this is a fearful thought. This is an anxious thought. This is a scarcity thought. I feel like I'm going to win and you're going to lose or you're going to win and I'm going to lose. So I've got to win. If there's one roll of toilet paper at the store, (laughs) reaching for it, I am. I'm going for it, man, because I'm getting it because. I don't, I can't afford to be loving in that situation. Like I got to look out for my own. And so that fear and anxiety is the doorway to chaos. And we never win when we become more fearful. Yeah. And I I really hear what you're saying that a lot of it, uh, like it's, it's, you're not saying, Hey, don't, don't be competitive. Don't, don't be yourself. Just be it in the most loving way possible. If there's one roll of toilet paper left, figure out the most loving thing to do here, you know, and, and really instead of just grabbing it and elbowing the guy out of the way. Right. Or cutting people off in traffic or whatever the thing may be. Um, you know, when you say be yourself, I would say uh, the a, maybe a different way to say that is be the truest you that God made you to be. Mm. But the goal is to be transformed, not just, because Christ, right? Yeah, be Christ. <laughs> yeah, like our, the most Christ-like. Right, because we tend to think our personality is who we are, when a lot of times our personality just reflects a really broken person who has strived their whole life, or who has uh, looked for validation in the wrong ways their whole life. And so, a lot of times, people go, "Well, that's just me," and it's like, "Well, I get that's how you're operating, but is that? Are you saying that's how God created you to be?" Are you saying over time, that's how you've dealt with life? And if it's how you've dealt with life from a broken place, well, let's go for wholeness. Let's not just proclaim yeah. you. Well, and, and back to what you said e- e- earlier, right? It, it's hard to overcome something that you're becoming more like 
you, you know, and, and I think that that happens in our brokenness all the time is that we, we let the brokenness in, we hold on to the brokenness as our identity. And now all of a sudden the brokenness is, is who we are. And we parade it around like it's a victory badge instead of letting, letting Jesus make us new. Right. We, and, and I mean, I was that way for, I mean, I'm not pointing at the listener or no, me too. I, I mean, I was super successful in my mid twenties, thirties. I was a hard driving, make it happen guy. I had a fortune cookie saying taped to my desk that said the one who says it can't be done should get out of the way of the one doing it. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, and I didn't think I was the one saying it couldn't be done. I was the guy saying, get out of my way. I'll make it happen. And I did on a human level in crazy ways and kept getting promoted. And my bosses loved me because I was the make it happen guy, the bull in the China shop. But at the end of the day, it was my brokenness. Like I felt like I had to do more to be more. And so every personality test I took during that time said hard driving, make it happen, dominant, alpha. And so I was like, yeah, like that's who, right, that's who I am. And the test verify it and validate it when the reality was the tests were just measuring my brokenness. Mm. So like, yep, that's, I'm broken. And the test is picking that up because of my answers, but that doesn't mean I embrace my brokenness. It's that the better choice is to go, God, who did you design me to be? You don't design me to be broken and you don't design me to look for validation from the things I do and my achievements and milestones rather than intimacy with you as a son. So you know, who is God inviting us to be? Well, it's hard to know in the chaos. If we're trapped in chaos and all we're doing is, if you're in the middle of a storm, you're just trying to survive. You're not asking the deeper questions. And so we need to get to a point where we can get away from the storm and get a realistic look at who did God make me to be and how does God deal with chaos? And, And Tony, that was a big breakthrough for me when I was writing the book is, I don't need to know more how I dealt with chaos because it wasn't working. You know, it was spinning me up, shutting me down, making me more chaotic. I didn't have the answers. And so rather than keep asking other people how to deal with chaos, I was like, God surely has a way he wants us to know how to live. And Jesus does. And the Holy Spirit does. So why don't we start there instead of excusing ourselves or letting ourselves off the hook? because of our personality. And that, that was a huge eye opener for me. And if you want to talk about that, we can, but no, I do. I, I, yes, that's absolutely where I want to go next is how does, how does God deal with the chaos? And, and well, before we get to that, maybe how, how did you know that you were broken? I knew I was broken because my heart was shutting down. Mm. I was, I was losing hope. I looked around and I remember having this thought, which I'm not saying, by the way, is a good thought, but I'm just saying it was what I was thinking. I found myself when the world was so, like I'd look at anything in the news, any re, any development of it, the outrage, the offense, everything in the world. And I just found myself thinking, I get why God flooded the earth. Like we're all idiots. Humanity, right. like, I, I can't find anybody who is just like everybody's offended or irritated or shut down or dysfunctional or hopeless. And I get why God looks at that and goes, oh, my gosh, like just clear the game board and start over. Now that I'm not again, I'm not saying that was a healthy thought, but it was just where I was at when I looked at myself or others. I was disappointed in me. And I was disappointed in humanity. Yeah, I think it's that's a safe measuring stick for all of us, right? If if we would rather wipe out the planet than <laughs> deal with what's going on inside of us, you may have let chaos in. Right, right. And 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 I mean, this world is broken, and, and sure. there is a lot of craziness. But but that was I was just feeling hopeless. I didn't want to wipe it out, I, but I was like, God, if you're done with this whole thing, like. I get it. And, and so that was my, and, and I'll tell you another thing. I was looking for relief 
Uh, I was looking for things besides God to give me relief. Mm. And so I would go through a hard day, you know, during the pandemic uh, of 2020, there were months and months of working from home. So there was only screen interaction and there wasn't face to face with coworkers and, and we couldn't do the live events of our ministry and we couldn't sit down and just hang out and talk and in a face to face way. And so I found myself by the end of the day, like, I just want to check out. I want to binge on a Netflix series. I want to, uh, I don't want to talk to, you know, like my family tonight. I'm just burnt out. Um, you know, well, I was looking for relief, but I wasn't looking necessarily for God. It was just like, I'm wiped out. What can bring me momentary joy, whether that's a beer, whether that's a pizza, whether that's uh, binging on a TV series, whatever it is, just give me relief. And that I knew that wasn't healthy. And and what I'm describing, I think, is 99.9% of the population, sure. which is when they're burnt out and worn out, they look for we look for relief. And I think God says, I'd rather offer you restoration. I'd rather make you whole. And so that's how I knew. That's how I knew this is not a trajectory I want to be on. I love God. I love my family, but my heart is shutting down. And so that's what led to the book. And when I wrote the book, I taught on these topics for about three years. But the book normally, a book normally takes about six to nine months to write and go through the editing process. This book took 10 weeks. Wow. that's, That's for people who aren't in the publishing world, that may sound ten weeks may sound like a decent time, but that's it's, moving. It's like the it's like some people take ten weeks to write a blog post, and and I mean this was so it came quickly. The birthing came quickly because I felt God saying, "This is not just for you, Alan. This is for everyone. Like this is this can be a rescue to your heart and others' heart if you'll get this out." And walk with me in the creation of it. And um, the first question I had for God was, well, okay, God, if I'm dealing with chaos wrong, is there anything in scripture about how to overcome chaos? Because if there is, I've missed it or I've not understood it. I passed it by. And it was so cool because God said, why don't you start at Genesis 1-1? Right. (laughs) Well, Okay. And so I go into the very first verse of the very first book, in the beginning, God created, we all know that verse, created the heavens and the earth. So God is telling us, first verse of the whole Bible, I'm creator and I create. But it was Genesis 1-2 where I realized this is the first lesson God is teaching us as our father. You know, the very first lesson you would teach somebody as a coach, as a father, as um, if, if you're the sage and you have an apprentice, the very first lesson you teach matters. And you're not going to teach something meaningless with the very first moment. Well, in Genesis 1-2, what is the first lesson God teaches us? It's this verse where it says God's spirit goes into the empty void, this murky darkness, and we see the spirit hover over it. And then in Genesis 1-3, the first day of creation. So in other words, the first lesson God shows us is because Hebrew scholars say in Genesis one, two, that's God's spirit in the empty void, which is chaos. Yeah. God, God does not hide from chaos. He doesn't wait it out. He doesn't fear it. He doesn't tremble. He doesn't go, well, that's just life. There's, you know, deal with it guys, get used to it. What he says is through his actions, I am a creator and I am going to step into the empty void and bring beauty, life and order where there was disorder and emptiness and hopelessness. And I believe, Tony, that he tells us that, shows us that the very first lesson of all of scripture, because he knows you're going to face chaos too. And so we can't create oceans and stallions and mountains uh, and humanity like he did in his creation, he did the most stunning creation that the world was not even the world before that came, you know? And so he creates all of this. 
Well, our invitation isn't to create an ocean or a stallion or a hummingbird, but our invitation is change the empty void places in your life, the chaos in your life, bring beauty, life, and order into those places through your presence and your gifting, your talents, your passions. And so we don't just have to learn how not to let chaos in. That's that's 101. But the big thing that I want your listeners to hear is, hey, if you wanna if you wanna do some good practices, if you wanna have like some disciplines or some practices that'll lead to healthy relationships with God and with others, well, this is one of the top of the list. It's like God empowers you in your realm of authority to change the atmosphere for good, Mm. to bring beauty, life, and order to your children, to your spouse, to your neighborhood, to your church, to your office, through your podcast, through whatever it is you do. That's the invitation. And so many times, you know, if we don't know this, the average response, I think, is, well, in these chaotic times, I'm just going to hunker down and survive. And I'll start dreaming or I'll start doing things once the chaos passes. And God is saying, no, 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 actually, your gifting and your presence are part of what can change the chaos. So don't shut down until the chaos goes, because guess what? In this world, you will have trouble and chaos. Don't try to wait it out. Step in and then bring beauty and life and order from the disorder in your realm. And when we all do that, it's kind of like in Lord of the Rings, you know, where they have those different kind of bonfires raising up. We see toward the end of the movie with these lights spreading the realm. Well, when you do it, when I do it, when every listener does it in and of itself, it's not that impressive, perhaps, you know, great. Alan wrote a book. Great. Tony has a podcast. Great. So-and-so has a bakery. Great. So-and-so is a teacher. How much change can there really be? with any one of those things, that's, that's a lie of the enemy. That's what we start to hear. And so we go, well, it's crazy times. I'm just going to pull out and try to survive and I'll get back to whatever later. And actually I think God is saying, this is why I've given you your dreams and your passions for a time such as this. Now don't let the chaos in. Don't be surprised. And now enter into whether you're a stay-at-home mom or dad, change the atmosphere of your home. Whether you're a CEO or whether you're a 20-year-old in college, change the atmosphere of the classroom, of the of the boardroom. Like wherever you are, a barista, a florist, a gardener, a, a waiter, whatever you're doing now, change the atmosphere for good, and that pushes the chaos back. And the enemy hates that. And so the enemy, of course, is trying to cut us off at the knees. But when we understand the larger story and what our invitation is, you can see like it changes how you approach your day, how you approach your life, and hope starts to rise within us. I, I love that. And I think uh, in the book, you call it uh, being, becoming an agent of, of creativity, right? And, and that we have to fight off agents of chaos right. in order to become an agent of creativity. And, and what a special call for us as, uh, as, as Christ followers and as people who are exploring that relationship with Christ is take whatever, I, I mean, this is what I hear you saying, take whatever it is you're really good at, right. whatever it is you're really passionate about and create something. Right. Because in that process of creation, we establish order and that fights off the chaos. Am I, am I, yeah. Am I encapsulating that right? Right. And and create something could be through a conversation. It doesn't have to be a tangible. Yeah. We're not talking well, about like. Not, well, your podcast is airwaves. Sure. Sound over the air. It can be a conversation. So some people I've heard say, hey, that's great for creatives. I'm not creative. Well, that's the first thing I would say is please don't say that because how could you not be creative if your father is the creator? Genesis 1.1. Our father is a creator. You're his son or daughter. He breathes life into us. We have his DNA. So we may not know our creativity. We may not understand our gifting. We may feel like our job is not creative at all. But here's the thing. Your creativity may come uh, through a hobby. 
or through uh, a, a volunteer position at a church or in a civic role. So it's, I'm not just saying it's your job that you get paid for. It could be, but your creativity could come out in the very things that make you come alive outside of your job. So don't limit, don't make an agreement, just like don't make an agreement you can't hear the voice of God. Don't make an agreement that you're not creative because guess what? Then that's like the the basketball player who says, I can't make a difference in the game, never goes in the game, sits on the bench and waits for somebody else to, to change the game, to win the game. You don't want to make an agreement. You don't have a role in helping diminish and counter the chaos through your creativity because if you do, you're basically sitting on the sidelines waiting for something to happen when God says, actually, the baton is with you. Now, you can't do it in your own strength. It's not all up to your brilliance or your strength. But when you enter into the chaos with me, father and son, father and daughter, then amazing things can happen. So that's that's the invitation of the book. I love it. I love it. And I, and I think now more maybe than ever before, we need, uh, yeah, we need somebody to pick up the baton. I, I just think it's, it's an important cry. And, uh, I, I know my listeners are going to want to follow you and, and learn more about this concept and hopefully, uh, y- your ministry will get back to doing live events and, um, here really soon. What's the best way for them to follow you on the interwebs, pick a, pick up a copy of the book, any additional resources they might uh, want to dive into on on becoming this uh, person who's who can fight off chaos. Yes. Well, so two ways I would say. The first is the books are really, if I could sit down with somebody and have one-on-one conversation, it would be about the content in the book. In fact, the chaos book, every chapter, as you've seen, is about a page to maybe two pages but I've tried to keep each chapter very short because when you're trying to overcome chaos, you don't need to feel like you're reading the dictionary. And so this is very, I think no, it's very consumable. Yeah. And so read chaos. Can't you can get it on Amazon. Um, and then the first book I wrote is on intimacy with God and a roadmap for how to pursue your dreams with God. Mm. And it's called the story of with W I T H. And it's written more as an allegory. Um, but it's basically showing you how do you step into the things you love to do actively with God? How do you hear his voice? How do you stay expectant? The concept of expectancy and expectations. So those two books really are kind of the foundation of this message. But then I do have a website called with Allen, W-I-T-H-A-L-L-E-N.com. And it's really meant to be this place of beauty uh, like where people can breathe easy and it, it's a roadmap for how do you pursue what you love to do with God. And so, uh, there's free videos, blogs, podcasts. And so if people are like, I really want to understand that concept more, that's a great place to just sample some things. The books are a great way to enter into the message we've talked about today. And, um, my main invitation to people is start, start somewhere. If this Mm. piques your interest, because if you just hear this and then go back to how you've been dealing with things, you're going to get the same results. And and God wants so much more from us. And the book is chock full of scripture, of um, why what we're saying works, how to practice your gifting with God. Like, so you can be chaos free in a world of chaos. The, the last scripture I'd leave people with is one that's in the front of the book, and it's Acts 2.25. And the NLT translation says this, I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken for he is right beside me. So why are we not shaken? Not because we just, you know, stuff it down and pretend everything's okay. Or we try to just hunker down and get through it or, or any of those things. We're not shaken because God's right there with us, with us. And he is the one who overcomes. And so this is an invitation. What does that look like on any given Monday? So I, I love talking to you about it. I hope readers will dive in deeper. Yeah, it's no, I love it. In our world. I love it for sure. Uh, la- okay, last question. I always love to ask people is an advice question. 
Um, I like to take people back to a very specific moment in their life. And in this case, I'm going to take you back to uh, the young man with the fortune cookie uh, insert taped on the desk about the, basically you can do it. Um, If you could go back there and give that young man one piece of advice, what would it be? The advice would be learn how to be a son. Hmm. The invitation, because I never knew, I knew the verse. I knew I was a teacher of a really large Sunday school class in a really large church during that very time that I was so driven. But here's the thing, Tony, I never knew what it really meant to know God as father and to be a son. And so I was living my whole life trying to validate myself through what I did. And ultimately it all imploded Hmm. and it always will. It always will. Nobody gets through life, you know, like Atlas carrying the world on your shoulders and being the tough guy and the guy that just makes it happen. It's an illusion. It's it's, we see it in movies, but it's not real. And so I would have told that me not in a hard way, a harsh way, but I would have said, like Alan, it's okay. Learn. God's inviting you to be a son, not to be this productivity machine. Make it happen, guy. Tear up the fortune on your desk. It's not all up to you. And and start living as a son. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to make it happen. It's okay. And I and that's ultimately what did happen. But man, I was in my uh, I was in my early 40s when that started to change. And it started to change because I had a boss who was a really crusty kind of, uh, you know, I mean, he, he was a tough dude, but he had a good heart. And he came to me one day and invited me to lunch. And he said, Alan, you have a team of about 16, 17 people. Do you know that every single one of them, they, they stay with you because you're successful? but they all think you're a complete jerk. Oh, wow. And he didn't use the word jerk. I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, no, I, I, I can read between the lines on that one. <laughs> yeah. But he said, do you know that? And I honestly did not know that. Oh, wow. I, like I thought they liked me because I was good at what I did, but I was pushing, you You know, you treat others, people's hearts like you treat your own heart. And I was treating my heart so hard and I was treating them so hard. And it was a real wake up call sucker punch to the gut kind of thing where I was like, is that the man I want to be? And the answer was no, but I had no idea how to change. And and the way change happened was I started learning what it meant to be a son. And, um, that's so, you know, um, the problem though is even if I could magically appear back in time and have told the younger me that, um, like, you know, you see movie scenes yeah. where people do that to themselves. They go back in time. Sure. Younger, I, you wouldn't have listened. Unfortunately, I think I had to hit my breaking point. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, even if I had done that to myself, I think I would have kicked my new self out the door. <laughs> said, yeah, 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 get out of my way. I'm the guy making it happen. Uh, so God had, to, God had to show me the end of myself before I could start becoming who he wanted me to be. And, um, I'm so glad he did. I'm so glad I'm a different man today. Not a perfect man. I blow it, but um, there's nothing like daughterhood or sonship when it comes to our approach with God. He doesn't want, you know, I'll leave us with this. Um, You can know a lot about God and not know God. Yeah. And ultimately the invitation is to do life with God not to do more things for God. Mm. Um, And so I think that's one of the things that have been stolen from us. We as Christians do a lot for God and we don't even know him. We, we know about him. We, we can quote scripture, but we have zero intimacy with God. And that's the whole invitation of scripture. God didn't give a scripture just for us to memorize scripture. He gave a scripture as an invitation into intimacy and we miss it. And I missed it until my early forties. And now I would, I I would die for that. Like I would never go back to just knowing a lot about God. I want to know him intimately. Uh, Yeah. 
I think that's a that's a good prayer for all of us. Uh, Alan, thank you so much for being so generous with your time today and with your writing and just praying that uh, that this book continues to speak into the life of 2021 and and uh, and go go pick up your copy right away if you're listening. I, I, I think it'll it'll be good for you. So, Alan, thank you. Thanks, Tony. This has been good. I absolutely love that conversation with Alan. I think uh, chaos is such an interesting idea and chaos plays for keeps. Man, what a powerful reminder. We have to choose. Do we want to be proactive or reactive? I think that there's really something to this. And I hope Alan's conversation today is helpful to you as you continue on in your journey and battle with chaos in your own life. Again, uh, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, share this episode with a friend and leave us a rating or review. It, it does wonders to continue to, to honor what God is doing here in and through this platform. Thank you guys so much. And I look forward to connecting with you guys real soon.